2: Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spasciano, joined, as always, by the original Long Island Iced B himself, Benny Scala. Benny,
1: how you doing today? Dan, I, I sit here in abject misery as a dejected New York sports fan. So the Jets and the Giants are both one and two, and the Vegas odds of either of them making the playoffs are about the same as uh, me waking up to Tom Brady's ex-wife. Oh, Well, that's <laughs> happen. happened. Uh, and the Mets and the Yankees are just a few games away from wrapping up their... Uh, there are pitiful excuses of a season. So all I can say is, bring on hockey.
2: Yeah, sounds uh, sounds good. So are the Rangers and Islanders going to do better this year, or?
1: I'm actually a, a Lightning fan. I adopted them years ago.
2: Oh, okay. I guess being in Tampa, that that Scott's always fun. Yeah. Hey, yeah. they've had some success. So at least you got to cheer for one or two championships in the last they, decade. They, yeah,
1: they're they're you know they're pretty much in it every year.
2: Yeah, you know, Benny, we always uh, we had a run. It seemed like we always start the show with. Uh, Kind of a semi sad news. I know it's not wrestling related per se, but we always, as you mentioned, you know, baseball. We always get baseball on the show. Um, I know as a we <laughs> we bicker back and forth between the Yankees and the Orioles. Uh, earlier today, it was reported the the Brooks Robinson, the human vacuum cleaner, arguably the greatest defensive third baseman of all time, passed away.
1: And oh wow! Well, I, I, didn't I think know
2: that. you know. Well, I just wanted to. to, to you know put that out there because it's you know we always talk about that we, we love you know the wrestling and the history and and it the the fundamental basis of you know the, the defensive style that he adopted and had was arguably the best ever kind of evolved in the game and um I know it's kind of sad to bring that note, but I think that fits because we're going to talk a lot about the past today, a lot about the past and how it evolves into the future. And uh, so, Benny, we have a third face joining us. Why don't you tell everybody uh, who's on the line with us tonight?
1: Yeah, you know, Dan, one of the great things about wrestling is, you know, oftentimes it's a family affair. So, I mean, many, many times we've seen a a son or, you know, sometimes even a daughter uh, following their father's footsteps. And in some cases, like a Randy Orton or even the late Bray, Bray Wyatt it's it's wrestling excellence you know and then you have somebody like george goulas who's only claimed to fame was having zero muscle mass and and telling harley race daddy said sail." but um tonight we ha- well, we have a family member on who's in, in the family roots they run rich and deep throughout the great sport of professional wrestling i mean going all the way back to the great depression so our our guest is the grandson of the legendary wild uh, bull curry who you can see in the background and the son of uh, Flying Fred Curry, also in the background. I'd like to welcome the Rocket, uh, Fred Curry. Fred, welcome to Dan and Benny in the Ring. Dan, Benny, nice to
0: be here. Appreciate it. Oh,
1: well, we appreciate your time. We appreciate
2: having you. Hopefully it'll be cool. a lot of fun. I know we always start with the same question uh, about how people became interested in wrestling, how they became fans. I mean, in your case, the answer kind of feels quite obvious being Born into a wrestling family, but I'd like to, to talk to for a few moments about your grandfather and your father. Uh, like Benny said, grandson of Wild Bull Curry, f- uh, son of Flying Fred Curry. I mean, their their careers both legendary. Um, but as far as like like what wrestling meant to in, you know to them.
0: Okay, so uh, I guess uh, we got I have to start from the beginning. Uh, my grandfather, Wild Bull Curry. Uh, uh, grew up in the Great Depression era. And back in those days, uh, he had many siblings and they didn't have a whole lot of money. So basically what Bull Curry, before he was Bull Curry, when he was around 14, 15 years old, would go to these carnivals uh, at the time. And uh, he became one of these guys that would uh, uh, take on all comers because he was imposing in his look and his size even for his age. Uh, so they would they would hire him to be in the carnival. So basically, uh, they would take uh, people in the in the audience, put them in there for three minutes. If they could take Curry down, they could win the the, the Emmy. If not, he uh, he would win as well. Now, even back in those days, it, it's important to know that they they were they were always working. They were there were shills in the front. Uh, they didn't make a lot of money, but he, in those days he would work for a basket of fruit or a uh, basket of bread and take it back home to his family. Um, and that's how he would make a living. That's how he kind of got involved in the business before it was the business. Now, if you talk about the wrestling business and bull curry, uh, after those days, when he got a little older, he joined the police force in Hartford, Connecticut became a beat cop. Uh, On the weekends, he had an inn that took him to Detroit, uh, the city of Detroit, before there was a real Detroit territory, before he knew about territories at all. And the guy that ran the territory in Detroit, Michigan, was Adam Weismuller. Adam Weismuller was uh, the brother of famous Johnny
1: Weismuller. Oh, wow.
0: Okay. Who was Tarzan back in the old Tarzan movies. OK, so the story goes that my grandfather went there uh, on a bus with no money, nothing to eat, slept on top of one of the skyscrapers with a pound of bologna and, uh, and uh, half a pound of cheese, worked a uh, couple shows the next day, drove home in a Cadillac. Now, I don't know if that's true. I doubt it. But that's how he got involved in the wrestling business. He still went home. And he still worked the beat uh, as, a, as, a, as a cop in Hartford. But he was, uh, he, even in those days, in the, in the early 30s, he, he was not uh, penitent of uh, discord or whatever. So he was released by the police for whatever reason. The reason he got Wild Bull Curry, the legend is that in downtown Hartford, there was a uh, corral or whatever where a bull got loose. Now, the way the story was released, it was a ferocious bull, snarling, uh, frothing at the mouth, beat cop, threw off his hat, hat, ran, grabbed the the steer by the head, wrestled him to the ground, and that's how wild bull curry began. Now, there's a bit of truth to that, just like in everything in professional wrestling, but I did see the picture of... uh, my grandfather actually holding the young calf uh, when they <laughs> when he brought him <laughs> back to the station. But you know, wrestling legends are notorious, and that's how it began with Wild Bull Curry.
1: Amazing.
2: If, if I can um, kind of want to ex- expand a little bit, <clears throat> the, you you mentioned you know the the truth uh and we've said on the show benny uh you know the old adage that the best wrestlers are the real you just turned up to a hundred um there's a book that came out in let me make sure i get this right 2001 it was uh, by floyd connor called wrestling fanatics wrestling's most wanted it was a book of basically outrageous performers uh it says it says uh, uh pro wrestling's outrageous performers punish pile drivers and other oddities well I mean, you can't talk about famous oddities in wrestling without mentioning your grandfather. And I was wondering if you had any insight to some of the stories um, he, he mentioned. There was your, He was involved in a match in 1955 where uh, more than 100 fans were injured after a riot broke out. Uh, it says <laughs> the, the story he was in. Uh, well, we're going to get to your, your travels, obviously. Uh, 1958, it said uh, he was attacked by a fan and, you know, beat him up. Uh, there was the story in, in Massachusetts where a fan jumped him and they said that he the legend is he punched him so hard. The fan was unconscious for two days. I was yeah. wondering if if it was more hype, you know, than because we've had a lot of the famous story, you know, through the through the years doing the show. We've had a lot of famous stories that people are like, oh, that was the local papers hyping me up, you know, or or oh, that was, uh, you know, my dad told everyone that story as part of a permit was, you know, a promotion It was kayfabe. Uh, did you you know any of this? It was that the the wild man, like I'll take anybody anytime. Was that real, or or was that also kind of a character?
0: Uh, no, those. Okay, so the stories in the papers back then, because that's all you had. You didn't have social media or any of this garbage, which still enhances stories to this day, right? Even right. Though it's, uh, so the story about the hundred people getting taken out of uh, <laughs> the arena. I think that was in Canada, uh, if I recall correctly. Whatever the story was, it, it was true. Uh, my grandfather notoriously liked to start riots, and we call them "pa," you know. So every once in a while, if I refer to him as that, 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 that so be it. I mean, but we're talking about. So anyway, Bull Curry, when he would go into these uh, buildings. He was one of the few people in the wrestling business, like the Terry Funks, like the Bruiser Brodies, that if they went after you as a fan. Now, make no mistake, you know, people might have thought it was a little bit more authentic back then, but everybody always knew what was up. When these guys would go at you, they would run away. And they would run away from Bull Curry or Terry Funk or Bruiser Brody or the Sheik. Where Abdullah the butcher? Because if you didn't run away, you'd get your butt kicked. You get knocked out. You get whatever. That's how they kept the business authentic because they were authentic guys. So as far as the the, the riot that hundred people went to the hospital, that's true. I mean, what's it take to go to the hospital? You Get a splinter. Oh my God, my head bumped on the wall or whatever. But that's true. Uh, there were other stories where uh, there was another story in Vancouver. It might have been the same riot where uh, he had to, uh, Bull Curry had to run out of the building and ran down the street, jumped in somebody's window and, and told him just keep it down, uh, <laughs> you know, while the, while the riot ran by. And then my father told me a story of another riot where they would chase my grandfather out of the building, out of the building. And, you know, he would start, you know, he, you know, the, the other wrestlers would get involved. Even if it was babyfaces, when a riot breaks out like that, they'll get in the way. Whether they take people down, and I'm sure you guys have seen occurrences like with Triple H and, and uh, Steve Austin in that clip or whatever, but the babyfaces will protect the heels when the people are getting them all. And then there was a, there was a, <laughs> there's so many stories. There was a story of, uh, I, I, I think uh, my grandfather was working in Buffalo. and My father was watching from the mezzanine and somebody hit him with a bow and arrow in the, in the, in the leg. Wow. jeez. Uh, I, I mean, it, the heat was, was real. <laughs> you know, that, this is why, uh, wrestlers in those days did not tell you where their authentic hometown was did not give you what their real name was they went by aliases uh, uh, phony hometowns because people took that stuff seriously you go into newport vermont where they haven't seen a show in three years and you start causing some havoc and insulting people's mother or whatever, they, they're going to take it personally. So, I mean, these stories are, are notorious. There's so many. It's getting heat, causing riots. Bill Curry was the truth with all of that, for sure. And it's, it was just business. To him. The nicest guy you ever meet. But, I mean, as far as in the ring... Uh, I'll give you one more story. Sorry, I was in Las Vegas at the Alley Club, and I was sitting there with Red Bastine. Uh, and we were sitting there talking about Wild Bull Curry. Red Bastine was a, a, a great name in Texas back in the 60s. And he was saying, Okay, Freddie, I wrestled your grandfather in uh, wherever it was in Texas. And I was sitting there in my robe and my uh, blonde hair, and the doors opened. And the people started running. And like King Kong was coming out of there. He goes, and then the ref looked at me as I was staring at it. He goes, You're here to work or you're here to watch, kid? Oh, so, yeah.
1: <laughs> wow. So, Fred, was it a foregone conclusion that I, I know the answer to this because I, I listened to one of your interviews, but it, was it a foregone conclusion that you were going to go into the family business? Um, now, I, I read what your Wikipedia. Uh, which is not always correct. It says that you were trained by uh, Dory Funk Jr. Uh, speaking of great wrestling families, that's one of the best. Is, is that correct? That is correct. Uh,
0: was it a foregone conclusion? No. Negative. Right. No, no, no. uh, my father, you know, followed my grandfather's footsteps loosely, and I'm sure you guys have something to ask about that. But as far as I go, um, uh, the intention for me was never to be in the wrestling business. Uh, you know, my father's was like, nah, you, you know, you're a smart kid, you're a good-looking kid. Uh, use your head for something other than a punching bag. But I was highly involved in athletics uh, growing up. And um, when I went to college, I went to the Ohio State University. I played for the Ohio State uh, with, with their lacrosse program letter four years, uh, scholarship, all that jazz. And then that was right in the time when the Monday night wars were heating up, right? And everybody wanted to be a wrestler. When I was a kid, you know, you had WWF in the 80s and Macho Man and Hogan and all that. We loved all that stuff. But it, like 1995 to 1999, me being of wrestling lineage, lineage naturally, I was like, oh, maybe I want to do this. Oh, I, it, it must be so easy. <laughs> uh, and um, I asked my dad one day because I'm in my 20s and just graduated from the Ohio State. And I'm like, uh, you know, I want to try wrestling. He was like, no, no, he ain't doing that. I'm like, come on, man, please, please. I can try because you don't you don't know a wrist lock from a wrist watch. You, no way you'll get eaten up. I said, give me a shot. So he took me to um, some wrestling school in Central Ohio. Uh, And, you know, we go there. This is in the infancy of wrestling schools. And uh, there's this, I can't remember the guy's name. He was a really nice guy. Uh, He goes, okay, go in there with him and wrestle a match. I said, wrestle a match. Now, even though my dad wasn't still in it consistently. When I was a kid in the summer times with the Sheik, Robo Brazil, all, all those guys, they would still do summer matches wherever they would do it in the, in the Midwest. So I saw it and I grew up around it and I knew a little something about it. So he tells me, he goes, Freddie, go in there and wrestle that guy and match. Wrestle in 15 minutes right now. And I just came off of lacrosse and I was in really good shape. Now, being in good shape and being in ring shape two are things. two different things. Because being in ring shape is coupled with confidence, breathing, and whatnot. Being in lacrosse shape, football shape, whatever, is a whole other thing. So it's all all the same. He threw me in there with this guy. The guy guzzled me up, and, and I was dead in like three minutes. And he looked at me after. He goes, you still want to be a professional wrestler? I said, sure. Yeah. So he called Sabu up, and then Sabu said, hey, listen. Called Dory up, uh, Dory Funk Jr. Actually, wait a minute, before that, this Abu said, call Terry up, Terry Funk. So he called Terry Funk up, said, okay, call my brother Dory Funk Jr. Because that was right off of uh, when Edge and Christian, all those, Angle, all those guys got out of the Funk and Conservatory around that time frame. So dad called Dory Funk Jr. up. Dory said, send him with me. And I trained with uh, Dory Funk Jr., uh, former world's champion for about a year and a half in Florida. Ocala, right? Yeah, Ocala.
2: Your your favorite town, Benny? Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Scala from Ocala. You're <laughs> a real horse town,
2: not a cow town. Well, you 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 hit the hit uh, mentioned the the chief. I'm curious, or excuse me, the sheik. I'm curious. Uh, out of curiosity, uh, you're listed your profile on WrestlingData.com. <clears throat> Excuse me. Has you, uh, your hometown listed as Columbus, Ohio? Although both your grandfather and your father are billed as from Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, like you said, your you, you dad spent quite a lot of time in the original Sheik's territory, uh, based out of Detroit. It, was that where he was homesteaded when you were born? Is that why you, you list Columbus as your hometown? What's the story behind that?
0: Uh, so, uh, in the marketing, I I always listed Hartford, Connecticut, in my hometown, because of my grandfather and my father. Where I'm from. Is Columbus, Ohio. Um, my father, like you said, uh, was showcased for the Light it, It's not like he didn't wrestle other places, but the Detroit territory for Flying Fred Curry was his home base, uh, and he he uh, had a had a partiality to Columbus, Ohio, in that area. Um, so that's where I grew up. Um, uh, and and uh, Bull Curry had a was was partial to columbus as well uh so i am from columbus ohio uh, even though and my father and my grandfather are both still from hartford but uh columbus was kind of like their homestead for a while bull curry always lived in hartford uh no question about that but he was partial to columbus uh, so i grew up in ohio
1: so, Fred, I, I have to get this bit of trivia in. Um, your grandfather was actually Bruno Sammartino's opponent when Bruno made his uh, Madison Square Garden debut on January 2nd, 1960. And uh, Vince McMahon was known to, when, when he had a hot prospect, he would test them with a, a tried and true, you know, a good hand. And uh, Johnny Rods would do the same thing later on where, you know, anybody who came to the territory, Vince Sr. wanted to see how good they were. He threw them in with Johnny Rods because he knew that he could trust Johnny Rods. I imagine it was the same with your dad. Um, did he ever talk about wrestling Bruno? Because I know he wrestled him a number of times.
0: Uh, no, there was never any.
1: Uh, you're talking about a curry wrestling Bruno, right? I'm sorry. Yeah, your, your grandfather. Right. Uh,
0: okay, so as far as my father talked about Bruno San Martino, Martin, he always liked him, always commented on how strong he was. That story about Bruno's first match in the Garden being against Bull Curry was 100% true. Um, but what is confused about it, Johnny Rods uh, was was a veteran. Uh, Vince would stick in there, and Vince Sr. and Vince Jr. Uh, to, to uh, bring out the best in people. To bring out the best in people is not something Vince Sr. would have done with Bull Curry. Uh, th- that was perhaps probably a, a marketing thing, and uh, I I don't know the specifics of it, but I'm sure Bruno won the match, and I'm pretty sure it was probably quick. You know, if my grandfather agreed to do the job to Bruno, even though Bruno was Bruno and looked like Bruno, even before he was, who he became, was probably a DQ or... Something like that. You wouldn't bring in uh, Bull Curry to enhance anybody because uh, uh, he was he wasn't he wasn't one of those guys. It wasn't like uh, putting somebody with Dolph Ziggler and be like, all right, I see what the kid can do. Uh, I'm sure it was uh, just a marquee thing to let the uh, uh, people of Madison Square Garden, particularly the Italian community, because back in those days, of course, yeah, the, the ethnicities were huge to put this wonderfully looking Italian babyface against this ferocious heel uh, and chase him out of town because Bull Curry, just like Abby or or the Sheep, when they were out of their own territory, they were just a feature and beat him. And then he scoots out of there and the guy's over. I'm sure it was someone like that.
1: So, and, and a couple of things too. I I believe he had, he wrestled in that territory for a couple of years, I think in the late fifties, um, And and one thing to keep in mind too, I think he was like 46 when he wrestled Bruno, and he'd already been wrestling 28 years. Just just amazing, the guy. I mean, he's wrestling on top, and I mean, and he continued to wrestle on top for years after that.
0: Yes, yes. He he, uh, longevity with Bull Curry. Uh, And then one of the things about uh, Bull was, you know, when you have wrestlers that come through their careers, and they look a certain way when they're younger, then all of a sudden they get older and a lot older, and they all look a whole lot different. It changes the way that fans perceive them. Bull Curry looked like that the whole way. So you didn't know how to help him. He I mean, <laughs> yes, towards the latter days, you could tell he was a little older, but he's one of those guys that always looked like an old man, right? Always looked ferocious. People ask me all the time, were those uh, eyebrows fake? No. <laughs> they weren't fake at all. And I can tell you that because when I was a little kid, I was grabbing them with my hands and he was slapping them away. Don't touch. He, didn't, he never let <laughs> me to touch his eyebrows or his hair. It's strange, strange as it may be. Um, but uh, he, he had longevity in the wrestling business because him, like other attractions, never sticked never stuck to a certain territory for a long amount of time. When you're, when you're uh, you know, a spectacle, uh, I mean, it's magnanimous to say Andre the Giant, but when you're, this is why he moved around all the time, but when you're, when you're like a feature, you're not going to have Bull Curry sit there and work a town over and over again for three months. You're going to bring him in, and you're going to hype him up, and they're going to do some shots and then he's going to disappear and then come back eventually. And that's the way those guys, particularly ones that lasted a long time, like Abby and uh, you know, Sheik and all, well, Sheik's a little different, but because they would circulate, because ever, you're going to get tired of, I hate to say it, the word, the act eventually. So that's why his career lasted so long. I mean, Bull Curry's not going to go through tables or, do stupid stuff or bumps or anything like that he's just gonna do his gig gimmick and keep moving along the path and people are gonna be scared of him and next time they come in they can't wait
1: to be scared of him again because it's, it's, it's exciting you know well you know and, and you bring up a good point because back then there were 30 plus territories yeah and so he could work for the Sheik for three months or six months or whatever and then go to fritz von eric Then he could go to Bill Watts. Then he could go up to, to, you know, maybe he wanted to go to Don Owens in Portland and LaBelle in Los Angeles. I got to believe, I mean, and I looked on, um, we use a a website called uh, Uh, cagematch.net. I'm sorry, wrestlingdata.com. And I looked, your dad was, or your grandfather rather, was very gainfully employed. I mean you look at his record every year he's wrestling and that that website is not really complete it shows him maybe wrestling you know 200 plus matches a year it was probably closer to 300 easily uh, yeah easily i mean i, I guarantee I, I i can tell that if, if you know when he was ready to leave one place there's probably three three other places he could have went and it just makes me wonder like you see you know you watch monday night raw and i you know you see the same guys year after year after year oh, I don't see how that works. I mean, I I remember I started watching back in the uh, late 60s, uh, 1968, and Vince McMahon Sr. would bring in, you know, they bring in a guy like uh, Bob Orton Sr. They brought him in as Rocky Fitzpatrick, gave him a huge push, you know, and then, he, you know, building up to a match with Bruno at the Garden. And then, you know, sometimes it'd be one, two or three matches, and then he'd move on to a different territory. Then they bring in Bull Ramos and, you know, and on and on. And that worked for years. And, you know, the same thing with your, your grandfather, you know, wrestled in Texas, wrestled in Ohio, wrestled, you know, wherever he went. Yeah. And um, so I guess I I don't understand how now and I really don't watch it much now. But how do you maintain somebody's interest if if you've been on the show, the same show for seven years running?
0: Well, keep keep in mind, even in those days, they all had their own TV, too. So Right. Right. It, 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 it was. It, it wasn't like they were just working spot shows or house shows. They right. were on TV in that little area, uh, or I don't want to say little area. That sounds condescending, but their area, their territory. So it was. They were known in that area, and that's what kept it fresh. And you know, there are certain commentators and podcasters and historians that say, you know, professional wrestling was supposed to be. Uh, territory, that's the only way it would succeed. Of course, now in this day and age, it doesn't. But when you talk about getting boring, I mean, like, take a guy like Drew McIntyre, who has all the talent in the world, but you watch him every week.
1: Right. How do you say fresh? The
0: same, right. same guy. All of a sudden, that guy, who's dynamic amazing, is boring. Right. And boy, doesn't that suck. Uh, because it's a, it's not a credit to him, and 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 it's 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 hard to keep it fresh. That's why on TV now, when you see Rock show up or Cena, people go out of their minds because they don't see him all the time. But right. I tell you what, Cena's doing like what is he doing like a three month ring? They're gonna start doing Cena sucks eventually again.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah,
0: because because it gets boring. He he's not gonna care. He'll go with it. Right, but. uh because uh, he's the best, but, uh, you know, like, but to our point, you know, uh, those guys had the benefit of staying gainfully employed because they just were an attraction. So if you were in Vancouver, where Bull would come up there uh, once a year for a month to fight your new baby face. And... You know, the year passes by and they start giving the buzz and the magazines and the flyers. Bull Curry is coming to if it was Calgary and beat up Bret Hart or whatever the case may be. People be like, oh my God, what's gonna happen when Bull Curry comes here? Uh, but if he was there all the time, so I, you know, it's one of those things.
2: I want to um just quick, quick I guess final follow up you know, talking about your grandfather in preparation for the show I was looking up some some stuff on him and like Benny mentioned he wrestled a lengthy bit of time uh, the match Benny talked about when he wrestled Bruno uh, Bruno's debut match that was uh, what was that night 1960 68. and you know at that point he. Bull Curry was already kind of the older statesman, the elder statesman. And I found he was in the CWA in, you know, the Memphis territory And nineteen, The episode I watched aired March 30th, 1976. And yeah. he, like you said, still looked the same. You know, the eyebrows and chest hair were which, you know, we joke about the eyebrows, that chest hair pretty legendary, too. You know, it was a little a little grayer. But here this is 16 years, 15 years after he was already an elder statesman and he's still tying these kids in knots. Uh, I, you know, you, you talked about how you know, he didn't go through the tables, but he's still, I mean, he's still th- th- even a basic bump. I know uh, a wrestling science, one of my little factoids that comes up a lot on the show is a, is a basic body slam from a six foot man is the equivalent of being rear ended in a car at 30 miles an hour. That's, that's wear and tear. Uh, yeah. Even, even if you're not taking the big table bumps, what do you attribute before we move on, what do you attribute like to the training, the diet, the regiment? Was it just was it some kind of superhuman ability like, like to 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 be involved in wrestling so long, especially like Benny said, you know, in an era when they were wrestling 300 plus matches uh, a year? Nowadays, I mean, we, we, we see talent, especially with no house show circuits or minimal house show circuits. They may wrestle five times a month and, and your grandfather's wrestling 300 times a year it's 16 years after he was already the elder statesman. What do you attribute to that?
0: It's easy, easy. He takes his own bumps, Uh,
2: uh, meaning that uh,
0: those CWA shows, they they were run by uh, Lou Fez's own promotion in in those days. And um, if you watch those matches, and, you know, some are okay, some aren't, but uh, my grandfather would take bumps on the apron. And the apron is unforgiving. So there's no give, there's no nothing. But he takes his own bump. So he knew how to take it and bump up. It wasn't like, uh, uh, you know, I I watch AEW every once in a while. And these guys will do these bumps where they're giving their body to somebody and they're taking a full-fledged, like, drop on an apron, which is crazy to me. Yeah, they're not gonna last. There's no freaking way. Yeah, you're gonna land wrong and crooked one day. And that angle of that apron's not gonna not gonna be sorry for you at all. So when you talk about Bull Curry, how did he last that long? He didn't take a lot of bumps. He took his own bumps. And when he did go down, it meant something. I mean, there's that famous match on YouTube. Uh, a Bull Curry. Versus Johnny Valentine. Yes. If nobody's seen that, they need to watch that match. From the reaction of the people, to the way the workers look, to the lighting, to the way professional wrestling should be, and is, everybody in the room, and everybody watching on TV, believe what they were doing. You know why? Because it was kind of real. So... I don't know if you guys want to talk about that
1: match. Or yeah, had I, I was actually going to ask you about that. And I, I was going to, you actually read my mind. I was going to say that that match should be mandatory viewing for anybody who aspires to be a professional wrestler. Because the one thing I saw was, and the, the one thing that wasn't really, I thought was that good about the match was Valentine did a, a horrible blade job in the corner. But <laughs> other, <laughs> other than that, other than that, like after that, your, your grandfather started laying in punches, and I have never seen punches land the way your, you know, your grandfather was laying those punches in, and Valentine was selling the shit out of those punches, and with every punch, his head got bloodier and bloodier, and the the crowd is going batshit, and I'm thinking, like, this is what professional wrestling was supposed to be, and, you know, P.S., your grandfather was 56 years old, he wasn't a young guy, and he's wrestling no. two out of three falls match against probably one of the top five in the world. Top of his game. I mean, Johnny Valentine, 6'4", 260,
0: yeah. legit, right? So, okay, I could talk about this match all day long because it gives me goosebumps because there's not too many matches I can see Will uh, uh, Curry go at it like that. So there's a story behind this match. Uh, this was 69. I really think the year was... It might have been 67. doesn't matter. So my father, Flying Fred Curry, was down there. Uh, now, Flying Fred, we haven't talked about him a lot. But he um, he was down. He, he loved working for Fritz Mount Eric down there. All right? In Dallas. And we're talking about Paul Bosch in Houston for this show, right? So uh, my father... Worked a match with Johnny Valentine in Houston on the Big Blue mat Houston Coliseum, right? And uh, they did some some kind of spot where Johnny threw him into the corner, and now at this time, Bull Curry was out of the territory. It was just flying, Fred Curry, in the territory, Brand spanking new, fresh off the blocks. So they knew him as Bull Curry's son, but Bull Curry had been gone for, yeah, yeah. how were they painted? Uh, so he, he uh, Johnny basically did something where he picked him up and he threw him on the turnbuckle, but you have the turnbuckle here, and then you have the chain, the link that goes to the pole. He threw him on the link, because Johnny Valentine apparently was kind of a not nice when you don't want to be uh so he threw him there and he 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 tore my father's groin out legitimately. Ooh. Legitimately injured him. All right, whether it was a shoot or not, who the hell cares? So, you know, uh my father went back to Detroit. So Bosch is like, I'm gonna use it. Uh so he, they they painted a whole angle around Bull Curry coming back to get vengeance on Johnny Valentine. Johnny Valentine was their version of the U.S. champion at the time, something like that. Uh, there were many versions of that, but, I mean, they were all legitimate. So the it, it, the, the match was painted revenge. So Bull Curry is always a heel in Houston, but he started becoming become a vaping face, as, he, as, as great heels do when they get older. So they brought in Bull Curry to fight Valentine, and when you watch that match, they're they're serious, you know, getting ready for each other. And a two out of three falls is, is something. And and the way Val, Valent- my grandfather, could throw a, well, a real punch and he could throw a work punch, and there was about a millimeter difference between the two, whether he wanted to freaking lay you out or whether he wanted to give you a little pepper. You're always going to feel it, right? But it's going to be safe or whatever. So his punches. And that match in particular, like a dynamo, how he could come up with the energy to start wailing is amazing. And like you, you said, Valentine's uh, a little gig mark in front of camera. Well, it's forgivable because nobody knew what the hell he was doing uh, at, at the time. And, uh, you know, they both took a fall. They finished in a in a, in a count out. And nobody was mad about it because that's the way it should have ended in chaos. And it was a great match. In psychology, moves be damned. I mean, they told a story and a struggle, and they really beat the crap out of each other. And uh, wrestling's not beating the crap out of each other, but beating the crap out of each other enough where uh, you, you go away bruised, but you go away. So it was a great match.
1: And I guarantee you every fan in that arena was emotionally invested in that match on the edge of their oh. seats.
0: Oh yeah, went bananas. bananas for it it's i mean it, 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 nobody asked for their money back then man, i'll
2: tell you that <laughs> well i mean we, we talk a lot about the pa- talk a lot about the past i want to kind of transition to to you um you know obviously we talked about you getting into the business and and your your influence y- you settled <clears throat> excuse me in the northeast uh with New England Championship Wrestling promotion. Uh, All accounts from everything I can see, one of the best independent promotions in the country. As a matter of fact, Benny, Sheldon Goldberg is gonna be on the show here in the near future. Uh, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about your time in uh, NECW. Uh,
0: NECW, well, uh, let's see. So, like we spoke about before, I asked my dad to train me, I trained with Dory, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so when we came into New England, uh, Sheldon was one of the first guys to reach out to me. There was a few other promoters that were kind of like hot that I went with him first. But he was just starting uh, NECW. He had worked for uh, Tony, Rubble, Tony Rumble in WA New England. Uh, Tony had unfortunately passed. Uh, Sheldon is a notorious wrestling historian astute to the game uh, he knows more he, he's forgotten more than I, I'll ever know about wrestling uh, so he asked me to work for him uh, so I did the first show with him and the first few uh, stints uh, uh, and we I mean that promotion he uh, had uh, uh, whether it was John Cena whether it was CM Punk whether it was Frank Kazarian they all came through there, and, and Sheldon always had me on a higher part of the uh, card, and always pushed me that I could work with with all these these. We were all newcomers back then, go figure. Um, uh, and uh, you know, I worked for a lot of great promotions in New England, but I'll say New England Championship Wrestling was the best one. Um, I ventured other places, but I that, I would always. If anybody were to ever ask me my independent wrestling home, it will always be New England Championship Wrestling. And I can't say enough good things about Sheldon Goldberg uh, as a man and a wrestling personality historian.
1: He, he actually uh, sent his regards. I, I chatted with him. I told him that you were going to be on the show. And as well as uh, Brendan Higgins, uh, who's happy uh, <laughs> you birthday, know, Knuckles Nelson. And uh, I I asked him about you and he said he's a class act. He wrestled for me in Salisbury Beach in 2000. So uh, he sends his regards as well. And now, Fred, you were inducted into the the New England Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame in 2018. Uh, Your grandfather was inducted posthumously in 2013 and your dad in 2015. So given the family history, like the fact that you got inducted as well, did that make it even more special for you?
0: Absolutely. The only, the only reason I would ever accept that honor is it was linked with uh, uh, my grandfather and my father. Uh, uh, I can't even uh, think to walk in either of their shoes as far as that business goes. I'm lucky enough to be in it because of both of them. On a side note, uh, Knuckles Nelson. I, <laughs> he for loved
1: him. Him. He's been on our show twice.
0: Working for him in Salisbury Beach was amazing. He had a great production I had the best time working for him. That was probably like the prime of my what I could do. Uh, so anyway, I digress. But uh, uh, the, the Nux love you, buddy. Did uh, you ever
1: work with uh, John Cena Senior? Wasn't he a manager back yes. then? Johnny, yes. fabulous. Often, often,
0: oftentimes, either he would most times he because I was usually a babyface. I preferred to work heel. When I could, like Worcester, Massachusetts, I, I always worked heel because they don't like me and I don't like them to this day. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Johnny Fabulous would always be managing somebody opposite of me. Um, but, um, yeah, uh, uh, New England uh, Hall of Fame was an honor. It's an honor being next to my father and my grandfather. Um, it, New England is, there, there are no territories anymore. But there are regions,
1: There's indies. we're all
0: different. We're all different as far as the Indies go. Whether it's California, they do a style. Whether it's uh, uh, the, you know the Carolinas, Virginia, New England, Philly is its own entity. That's another story from another time. There, there are still. Uh, it's nice to know that there are still uh, ways to define it too. You know when a guy. Has been working in in Chicago. You know when a guy's been working out of Boston. You know when a guy or girl has been working out of California. And you sure shit know when a guy or girl has been working out of uh, Mid South down or uh, uh, the Carolinas. It's 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 funny that the the tried and true history and the way that the people, and I'm talking about the fans react to things still carry out through all these years as far as where where you see shows it's incredible excuse me
2: um uh, you know, we we talked a lot, like I said, about the past and the present and, and wrestling has changed so much since the days of the wild, you know, the wild Bill Curry's and even the flying Fred Curry's. Um, if your grandfather was still around, I, I, I know we, we said we wanted to focus on the past but, or present, but more, another quick past question. If your grandfather was still around. Um, what would you what do you think he would say watching a, an episode of Monday Night Raw, SmackDown, AEW Dynamite and how much the business has evolved, even just since you started back in 2000 and over the last 20 years?
0: He would uh, first comment on his first thing would, would be, are they making any money? And you would say, hey, yeah, he goes, OK, I'm all for it. I mean, number one, old school wrestlers. OK, they drawing? they making money. Good. The second thing he would say probably would, if he was looking at like uh, uh, some of these matches, if he was looking at the Bucks against uh, uh, the the Lucher Brothers, he'd say, "Well, what's next? What, are you gonna run them over the car? Take a shotgun out? How are you gonna end this?"
2: Or <laughs> you 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 mean to tell me that your grandfather wouldn't get into a match where he'd kick out of thirty seven finishers?
0: My grandfather
2: would not take
0: one move from any of those guys. No disrespect to those guys. But he, he would probably uh, get disqualified immediately and leave. That's what, the, that's what the finish would be. They would be like, hey, bull, we're going to do this, this, and this. And he would agree to it in the back if they got him in the back. And once they got in the ring, he would pull a chair
1: out, hit him over the head.
0: Walk. That'd be it. <laughs> no harm no
1: foul do you think we'll ever see a wrestling back to the point where it's your grandfather against Johnny Valentine like that kind of match with that kind of psychology
0: I I can only hope so there are glimmers of hope as far as that goes now it's of course it's a ball but you look at a guy like Gunter and uh, uh, a few of the other ones there's psychology there it's there, and if people want it, they do, but you got to have the right personality to pull it off. So we'll see. I don't know if it'll get back to Valentine versus Curry and the Houston Coliseum, but we can always hope.
1: Well, what I uh, think that, about that should Go be ahead, required, Benny. absolutely. You have to watch that match if you're going to be a professional wrestler just to see how it used to be done for sure.
2: You know, you, you talk about making money. I'm curious. I'd be curious. Uh, over, there was a recent it made some made a couple of headlines, a recent AEW show, their first uh, big sh- show back following the Wembley tour uh, with what, 70, 80,000. And they were in Cincinnati, sold under 3000 tickets for for the venue. I'd be curious what your what your grandfather would say watching a show where you know 80 percent of the arena is empty and the main event makes is making a combined four million dollars this year. Uh, if
0: (laughs) it depends on what his payday was, (laughs) but, uh, uh, I don't think he could even fathom 80,000 going in anywhere. But, uh, if, if there were 3000, uh, in the arena, when there was supposed to be 10, he might not have made it to the ring.
2: So at least they're, they're making more money than those, uh, the hot dogs and handshakes I've been paying Benny with these last two years. (laughs)
1: <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with hot dogs and nachos. I like hot dogs. Yeah, hot dogs are good. Depends on the hot dog. So, so Fred, you you got out of the business at a relatively young age, and you know, I, I took a look at your social media, and I see this place called the Coast Guard House, and I think I gained a couple of pounds just looking at all the food. What what got you into the into the uh, hospitality business?
0: There is no greater partnership than the hospitality business and the wrestling business, I'll tell you that. A lot of us uh, uh, breaking in, always break into hospitality, whether serving tables, bartending. I mean, there's no place you learn how to work people more than behind a bar or carrying a tray. So it's a natural uh, uh, partnership uh, getting into hospitality. Uh, Coast Guard House uh, is uh, uh, 40 Ocean Road, Narragansett, Rhode Island, 401-789-0700. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it is a uh, business casual, uh, mostly seafood with pastas, chops, steaks, uh, wonderful view of Narragansett Bay. And uh, there's, you know, whether it's talking to um, the, the, uh, the staff that works under me where I cut promos every day, Uh, or it's dealing with the the, the people that are like the fans at a wrestling match. There is no compliment to professional wrestling or no better satisfaction to satisfy my remembrance and desire to be back in the business than working in hospitality, particularly at Coast Guard House in Narragansett. It's an exact compliment. It's the same gimmick, just
1: a different amount of people and a lot less blood. So I, I've had two lobster rolls in my entire life. I think I might have my third there. Oh, you should, brother. You
0: should. You, you won't at this point. I promise
1: you.
0: Oh, I, I know that.
2: <laughs> well, outside of wrestling and baseball, there's nothing, I think, Benny, you and I talk about on the show more than food. Oh, so no. just out of curiosity for our for our listeners and our, our friends on YouTube out there, if if you're going to the Coast Guard house for the first time, what's the must-try menu item?
0: Oh, lobster roll for sure. If not that uh, uh, lobster ravioli or
1: lobster mac and cheese, it's lobster Rhode Island. Yeah, <laughs> lobster, lobster lobster ravioli, really. Yeah, oh yeah. Dynamite. Dynamite. I tell everybody I'm a light eater. I I start eating when it gets light out. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect place for you guys. Oh, you yeah. guys
0: come to me anytime you want. I'll take care of
1: you. All right.
2: Live, our our next road show live from the. Uh...
0: Dan ben and Benny live.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. oh. Well, Brent, Knuckles will come down in his Harley. We'll be all set.
1: Hey, oh, that sounds like a great plan.
2: <laughs> well, Brett, uh, I mean, a lot of good stories tonight. We appreciate you talking about your family. We want to wrap up with you. Um, I know you got the restaurant, you, you're still very involved, very active on social media. What does is, what is the future hold for Fred Curry?
0: Uh, I'm just going to keep on keeping on, and I'll still uh, be involved in wrestling. Uh, uh, it's it's always going to be a passion and a love, and I, uh, I just want to finish by saying I'm so honored that Wild bull Curry was my grandfather. My father, Flying Fred Curry, who we didn't talk about as much tonight, but he was the world's greatest baby face, most popular wrestler, PDA, PWI. Great 19- 1973 uh and i i'm ge- gentlemen it's been a pleasure i'm honored that you had me on and i would be more than happy to visit with you guys again whether it's over a lobster roll or talking about something else
2: that sounds like a plan to me um before we let you go before, uh i do have one kind of last <laughs> re- request before we got to recording when we were setting all the cameras and everything mm-hmm. you had a really neat story about that poster behind you I was wondering okay. if you would be so, so kind as to, to tell our fans that story because we weren't recording at the time you told us.
0: Okay, so this is a hard-to-find, ever-to-find poster. Back in the 30s and 40s, and even before then, the uh, promoters would paper the town. And sometimes you had flyers, and sometimes you had big cardboard posters like this. I found this in my grandfather's basement. Now, this is a legendary story. Uh, that was passed on to me that I did not necessarily believe until I found this artifact right here. So Jack Sharkey, he was one of the boxing champions of the world right around the time of uh, Jack Dempsey uh, and so on and so forth. He lost to Joe Louis' first fight. He was a real deal. Back in those days, boxers, former boxers, would always be involved in the wrestling business. He happened to be refereeing that night. It was my grandfather. Bull Curry against Manual Cortez. Now, they didn't really talk about matches so much then, they just went out and did them. So Sharky's gonna referee the match. Somewhere along the line of the match, something went wrong, whether my grandfather didn't like the way it was going or whatever. So he happened to de-pants Sharky in front of the whole crowd, which Jack Sharkey didn't take very kind to at all. So they finished the match, got back in the dressing room. And Jack Sharkey went to confront Bull Curry. At that time, it wasn't a good idea for Jack Sharkey to confront Bull Curry. So as legend goes, Jack Sharkey picked up a chair. Bull Curry picked up a table. Bottles flew. Big Donny Brook. they had to separate them. They wouldn't talk to each other until
1: next month when they sold the building out.
2: There you have it. Benny, as we wrap up, final thoughts to you.
1: Yeah, just something just occurred to me. I think the very first wrestling magazine I ever bought in 1968, because, you know, growing up in Long Island, and the only wrestling that I was able to see at that time was, you know, the WWF. And in my mind, that was all that existed. I thought that was it. And then, you know, I buy this magazine, and I open it up, and I see. And your grandfather was in the very first magazine that I ever bought. I think it was called Wrestling Review. And yes. here is Wild Bull Curry. And I'm thinking, like, holy crap, this guy looks scary. And I'm just, just like, the, the, it's so surreal now. Like, all these years later, I'm I'm talking to his grandsons. So I just, you know, I tell Dan all the time. Sometimes I feel like pinching myself. But I'm at the age where, I, I you know, I can develop clots. So I really try <laughs> not to do that.
0: That's it. It's great. That wrestling Review,
1: that was one of the big ones. It's great But, stuff. yeah, he was in the very first while. I, I remember that like it was yesterday. It's like. Wild Bill Curry. I'm like, damn, that guy looks scary. (laughs) I wish.
0: Hey, if I can find that magazine, I'll send it to you. I've got a lot of
2: them. And that's when you know it's memorable, Benny, because I mean, you remember a magazine you bought 60 years ago. You know, probably can't remember what you had for lunch at your age. No, I
1: I know. First thing I do in the morning is I open my wallet, look at my driver's license so I know what my name is. (laughs)
2: That's funny. Well, Benny, another great show. Fred, thank you so much for your yes, stories. Fred, we appreciate it. Like, My like we said. Oh, absolutely, and we'll definitely. I mean, we, like we said, we focused a lot on your grandfather. We'd love to have you back on, maybe to focus more on your father's career. I oh, mean,
0: I would love to do that. Please. One,
2: one of the, without question, we talked about. You know, your grandfather was in some matches that are must see for everybody. Anybody that loves wrestling, uh, especially as as things have transitioned more towards the high flying. Your grandfather is on the, or excuse me, your father is on the Mount Rushmore of drop kicks. Such such a pretty drop kick. So, you know, I'd love to talk more about his career in the future. Please. Uh, But but yeah, no, so we'll definitely have to have you back on. I appreciate it. So Fred Curry, uh, wonderful wrestling family, huge lineage. Like you said, all three of you in the New England Wrestling Hall of Fame, just phenomenal stuff for the, legendary uh, in his own mind, as it were, and mine as well, the original (laughs) Long Island Ice B, Benny Scala. I'm Dan Spaciano. Have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time we're in the ring. Thanks, guys.